Wow. Worship's done. Come out of the glory. Come on. Back to earth. Not really. Stay in that place. It's good and glorious all the time. Hey, if you are a parent of young ones and you missed the announcement, Paradise Kids has started. Uh, and if not, we've got, uh, if your kids are under the age of Paradise Kids, we also have the parents' infants room out the back there. Uh, welcome from me to you. My name's Brad, uh, senior pastor, leader, person, thing here. Uh, so bless you. Special welcome from me. Uh, yeah, just a, one as well. With kids, anyone under 18, uh, we, we just want to make sure that the responsibility is carried by the parents. Um, but we do ask just the nature of the property, the size of the property. Uh, and as well, we expect, you know, as Jesus said that... Uh, he came uh, not for the healthy, but for the sick. Uh, so um, guess what? You're here because you're sick. Uh, no, not really. Uh, it, you may have been or you may be, um, but, but it, it really means people who are going to come into this community are people who are in need of Jesus, uh, which might mean that they're not always the safest of people. Um, and so we just want to really extend our encouragement if you're a parent of anyone under 18, um, that you're just keeping an eye on your kids. And it does mean even during sermon times, we'd, if you're... Kids are wanting to be out in the foyer, just that you would be with them. There is a screen out there, and you can watch and listen. Um, but if not, encourage them to be in. I would encourage you, if you've got a child who's, who might even be like, ah, they're not all of that interested in Jesus at this age, just keep them in the room. They can sit on their iPad, and I guarantee that the Word of God is still, it's still washing over them. It's still penetrating. It's still getting stuck in there. So um, encourage you in that. I love a mum this Friday, so this is for parents with, who are expecting children uh, or um, like preschool-aged kids. Uh, we do Fortnite on a Friday here, uh, 9.30 to 11.30, so come along, invite your friends. It's a great time. Uh, we've got lots of uh, kind of lovely, amazing leaders that are there that just uh, love to love on mums and, uh, and also on uh, the little babies, and so... That's great. Uh, it's Father's Day next Sunday, so we're having uh, just a sausage sizzle morning tea. Uh, so uh, make sure you come along, bring your uh, father, if you, uh, if you can, uh, along to that. It'll be great. Uh, we also have Elijah House Unit 1 coming up 9th and 10th of September. Uh, you can jump on to our website, paradox.church forward slash Elijah House. Sign up for that. So this is Inner Healing Training. Uh, ministry. It's really, really good. If you want to do any of the other larger house units, you have to do unit one first. So get along. It's going to be great Friday and Saturday. Uh, so it's like 8.30 till 5-ish on those days. Uh, Jess has already mentioned tithes and offerings, so uh, that's all done. Uh, we do have a, a family announcement. Um, some of you may have heard uh, through uh, the grapevine um, some very exciting news. Um, but certainly a change and a transition, uh, and that is, uh, Amy, would you like to come up? All right. She's prepared. Brad's going to make me cry. Um, so uh, Amy's been with, Amy was the first person to ever join Paradox Church after it launched. So the first Sunday that we gathered together, so the only other people that have survived is Andrew and Kat. So Andrew was on drums. Where are you guys? There you go. You've survived. That's a good effort. Twelve and a half years. 
Um, but uh, so Andrew and Kate were part of the original uh, planting team from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. But our first Sunday we gathered together, Amy uh, rocked up and uh, she's been part of it. But when we grew to a size where we needed like a, a leadership, senior leadership team, Amy was on that team. And so she's been, she's been part of the senior leadership of this church ever since there was senior leadership of this church. So uh, it's amazing. Amy has done so much, been such a massive influence on uh, the culture of our community. As we've grown, like we were all 27 you might have been 26, 26 and a half, yeah. We, we are born in the same year, but Amy's born at the end of the year. So she's got like six months where she just really milks the fact that I'm older than her. Uh, Lisa and I are both older than Amy, so, um, but not for long. Anyway, um, so as, uh, I don't even, I see I lost my train of thought now because I was trying to be... 26, well, yeah, we, we, we planted a church at 27, and uh, I don't know if you've ever been 27, uh, and then you get old and you look back and you go, wow, what was I thinking uh, when I was 27? So, but we did, we just figured it out together, did the, the journey of God, uh, you know, together in this beautiful, amazing church, but Amy's had such a massive influence, particularly when it comes to heart culture and, uh, and everything like that, the, the pastoral shepherding culture of our, of our church and our community. Uh, but the reasons in the announcement for this morning is, so Amy has been obviously integral in the establishment of Lilia Haven. Uh, it was a dream that was uh, birthed in, in her heart and, uh, and that God has uh, now led us to. We, we've opened. It's amazing. And we are chugging away uh, a, a special thanks to, uh, I think, Andrew and Wendy and Adam who were painting yesterday. Yeah. Amazing. So we are uh, just finishing off our, the second accommodation unit and we've got more participants coming in. It's very exciting. Um, but as, as part of that, so uh, what... Um, I think the, the thing that sets apart, well, our hope is that's going to set apart Lilia Haven, really is the, the heart culture, the heart transformation, the inner healing journey. Uh, and so uh, Amy has been a manager with Greg and I over the transformation centers so that oversees the crew and also Lilia Haven. Uh, and then within uh, Lilia Haven itself, uh, she was part of a manage the management team and overseeing all the therapeutics, which is the kind of inner healing transformational journey. Um, and what we've discovered is that because Amy is so integral in that, uh, trying to juggle two uh, significant roles of senior leadership of a church and, uh, and overseeing of Lilia Haven, it was just too much. Uh, so there is the time reality, but again, if you've ever pastored a church, you will know the, uh, just the, the spiritual significance and weight that comes with that. Uh, that's the constancy, like you are, you're, you're 24 hours a day sometimes thinking and dreaming and carrying and, uh, and praying and taking that sense of responsibility. And so uh, it's, it's come to a place where we feel like it's, it's far better for Lilia Haven for Amy to invest all of her time uh, into that space. And so, uh, so Amy is coming off our senior leadership team and, uh, and really just shepherding people into that space, so building uh, the culture of the kingdom in that space, uh, leading and overseeing. And so Amy's going to be, uh, what are we calling it, director of, of Lilia Haven. And so uh, Greg, here's Greg, uh, Greg will look after kind of the business management, kind of CEO roles, and Amy will be really directing everything that happens uh, within Lilia Haven with her amazing team and Esther and all the other amazing staff that we have there and volunteers, which is hugely important there. So, so that's the, the transition. So uh, it's it's a it's a loss for our team, uh, but thankfully we have an amazing team of wonderful, gifted, exceptional uh, pastors, and so we uh, we feel like it's it's certainly a gain, and uh, and yeah, we just feel the Lord's kind of leading in that. So uh, Amy will still be here; you'll still see her all the time, but she just won't be operating in that particular kind of function and role in the community. 
Yes, she will continue to oversee uh, our prayer ministry training and also our STARS, which are our uh, kind of uh, framework for helping people to journey through kind of significant mental health uh, struggles. And so Amy will still oversee that. So she's still very much involved in ministry here. You'll see her praying for people and all that sort of stuff at the front. So very much part of the community. Lily Haven is a ministry of our church, um, but just not taking on the, um, the kind of significance of that senior leadership role. Amen. Anything you want to say? No? Uh, so as, as uh, now again, you imagine 12 and a half years is a long time to invest significantly costly uh, investment of what it is to, to lead a church community. And so um, we kind of heard through the grapevine, kind of how much of the story can I tell about? <laughs> so, yes. So uh, Rochelle Holden, who was the international director of Elijah House in America, uh, so uh, since that kind of connection, Amy and Rochelle uh, become kind of really good buddies and uh, connecting all the time. Uh, the plan was that Rochelle was going to fly over here and visit, spend some time uh, with Amy and spend some time with our community. Uh, but just with family circumstances back home, um, is no longer able to do that. Uh, so she has offered then to fly Amy over to spend time with her in America. So that's wonderful. And, uh, and so she's got like you know, frequent flyer points and all that sort of stuff with Delta, but it only gets Amy from Sydney uh, to the US. And so uh, as a gift from uh, the church uh, to Amy, so on behalf of our church community, we're just, we're blessing Amy with uh, the ticket from Perth to Sydney and then back again, back again. Yes. Just, okay. She's coming home. Yeah. <laughs> just confirming. It's no one-way ticket, so we'll make sure it's booked two-way, um, and that, and uh, and also part of that. Just uh, we've kind of put the word out to to a bunch of people in our in our community, and uh, and they've also um, blessed you uh, financially with um, some uh, some spending money just to bless you. And uh, so if you are wanting to um, just to bless Amy financially, if you're like, hey, Amy's been a huge impact on my life, um, just see Jess uh, or email the office and we can give you details to kind of to transfer some cash through. We feel like that's just the best way to, to bless you. Nothing can, can, you can't put a monetary value on, on what it is to and, and how you've impacted people's lives. My life personally, uh, my, my wife, my family, um, you're such a gift to this community and we know you'll continue to be and we are, we're leasing you out for a little bit, but you're not going anywhere. We, so we won't, we've just, we've, we've signed a contract. No, you're not allowed to, no, no, not really, but we've got heart, heart contracts, you know, covenants, um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I'm not trying to, be, yeah, we love you, that's all, and, uh, and so we, we just want to bless you and, uh, and pray for you as well as you uh, step into a significant uh, new role, so awesome, you pray, all right, if you want to come forward and pray and bless So as with everything in a, in a pioneering community environment, um, we're, we're stepping into new places, into new seasons, into new things. And, uh, and I know that Amy would really value your encouragement, your words of just affirmation and support of her. Uh, she certainly feels, uh, she, would, she would say she feels ill-equipped. I think she is more than equipped. Um, and it just in herself and then with partnership with the Holy Spirit and the amazing team, but uh, just continue to encourage and bless her. So thank you, Lord.
Well, Father, we just thank you for uh, what an amazing uh, season, these last 12 and a half years, Lord, and uh, for all of the seeds planted, Lord, the amazing fruit that's been birthed in this community, Lord. Many lives that are here today, many lives that have even journeyed on to other church communities, Lord. Uh, but we just thank you for the seeds that have been sown, for the amazing fruitfulness, Lord, that Amy carries in her life, her devotion to you, her devotion to people, her devotion to your calling and your cause, Lord. And Father, as she steps into uh, a new uh, pioneering and, and role of significance, Father, we just pray, Lord, uh, that you would, you've mantled her, Lord. We don't even need to release her. You have mantled her with everything that she needs, Lord, in partnership with you, Holy Spirit, that you have mantled her, you have called her, and you, will, you have equipped her, Lord, and you will give her every degree of grace that she needs, Lord. We thank you, Father, even as we've just seen the release of your grace as she's already uh, stepped more into this role, Father. So we thank you for your grace that enables. We thank you for your peace that guards. We thank you for your wisdom that leads. We bless her, Lord. We thank you for her. And Father, we pray even just a blessing time of refreshing over this trip, Lord, of connection with, uh, with longtime friends, Lord, deep rest as you prepare her heart for the next season that you're leading her into. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. She's just up the hill. She's okay. <clears throat> awesome. <laughs> Not me. Let's kick the door down. I don't need that. Hey, uh, we are in uh, in a new series called Fivefold Family. Um, I, uh, I may have mentioned last week, and it was certainly my plan up until Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday morning is when uh, plans change. Uh, generally in our staff prayer time in this room, that God says, here's where we're going. And so I had planned to start getting into the first of the firefall, which has been the apostolic, and yet, but Holy Spirit's like, no, there's more uh, that you need to share on family culture. So that's just where we are going. So last week we talked about this idea of God building a family. So God is a father and he has children and you are his children. If you are a born again Christian, you've been invited into his family, you've been adopted in, you've been grafted in, you've been knitted in to God's family. So you're no longer strangers or aliens, the Bible talks about, not spaceship aliens, but like foreigners, uh, you're part, or maybe you are, who knows these days, you, yeah. I don't want to judge, so, um, but uh, you've been invited into that family, uh, and that family looks like Jesus, and the role of the firefold, I think there's a significant role in the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers shaping the culture of the family by how it shapes each person to look like Jesus, and the more we look like Jesus, the more we reflect 
God and the more we reflect then the family of God and how we interact. So Jesus appoints these kind of five types of leaders in the body of Christ. Now, I'm not saying necessarily that every single church would have all of these five so we can look outside for support and encouragement and investment. The blessing of the, uh, the world that we live in is we have access to people from all around the world that can impact and influence us. But he gifts these leaders to his family to help them to become like him and to reveal him to the world. So the question you might ask, cool, kingdom family culture, well, what does, what does it look like? And, uh, and inevitably, I started by going, well, I wonder what maybe it might not look like for some of us. And I think to, I'm, I'm going to start by kind of outlining, again, what, what some of the barriers might be to, um, to entering into a kingdom family culture. So it's kingdom culture. We're not about church culture or Western culture or about kingdom culture. So I want to lay a foundation that enables us to separate ourselves from any unhealthy cultural norms that we may have been brought up in, that we may have understood, whether that's from family culture, of our, of our upbringing. It might be even from church culture, from what we've learned as we've maybe become a Christian, you've gotten into a particular church culture and you've learned these normal ways, but they're not necessarily the most kingdom ways. We want to embrace God's kingdom culture. Not church culture, not our culture, God's culture. Amen? So kingdom family culture may not look like our biological family or the ethnic culture that we grew up in. So there, there are things that are maybe wonderful and great in our family, but there are things that maybe weren't so great, weren't so amazing. So every culture and family may have great things in them, but as members of God's family, He is the one that sets the culture. And our responsibility is to agree with His culture. So agree with God's culture, uphold God's culture. So again, we don't, we're not spectators in the family of God. We are participants in the family of God. Amen. Can we say, I'm a participant in the family of God? Amen. So it's not just my responsibility to, to agree with it, but also to uphold it, to be one who would then uh, invest that into other people and help to establish his culture in other people. So as we disciple people, and again, kingdom culture is not reserved just for the church. Kingdom culture is not, we're not supposed to have this kind of enclave of separateness that exists within church culture. And again, this can be a danger in the life of the church where we, we consume everybody's time with church activities. Because when you do a church activity, then you get to set the culture. Okay, so people come in and you're always setting the parameters of what that culture is. If people aren't learning the culture and valuing the culture and they're in agreement with the culture and wanting to embody the culture because they recognize, oh, it's not church culture, this is God's culture, then it doesn't necessarily permeate any further than within the four walls of the church or within church community. You know, in, in probably more modern history, we've, we've done things of, you know, created like Christian sports leagues and Christian this and Christian that. And it's kind of like, we've got Christian music, we've got Christian, you know, like, it's probably Christian food you can buy. I don't know. <laughs> or you could do a Daniel fast, I don't know, I guess. But, you know, like, it's, it's we, so we just label things as being Christian and we kind of create this thing because we go, oh, well, you know, that sporting culture might be unhealthy. So let's create one that's nice and safe by putting our own culture in separating ourselves. Whereas for me and my understanding of the way that, for starters, Jesus was sent from heaven to earth to bring the kingdom. John 20, 21, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. He says, the same commission is to go out into the world to bring my kingdom. We are supposed to be light and darkness. 
we are supposed to bring the reality of the kingdom into all of those spheres. So I would encourage you, if you've got the option to join a Christian sporting association and a non-Christian one, join the non-Christian one. Because otherwise they're going to miss out on, on discovering how amazing Jesus is because we're stuck kind of doing our own Christian activities. Even what we do here, what our hope and our expectation is that you would learn God, you would experience God, but you would take God out into your everyday world. You're spending a very small amount of time in, the, in church gatherings. Very, very small percentage of your week. It's, I've done the numbers. <laughs> You've got 168 hours in a week. Take out eight hours a night if you're lucky. We've got new parents here. Good luck with that. Um, but on average, you know, maybe somebody has 10 hours. Bless you. Um, but if you take out eight hours sleep a night, you've got 112 hours in a week. You take, to say, an hour and a half. I know for us, we, we meet for, for two hours. Um, but you take that, it's an hour and a half of the week is 1.3% of your awake hours. So 98.7% of your time is spent outside a corporate church gathering. And if this is the only time we're doing kind of kingdom activities, encountering God, experiencing God, blessing others, praying for people, seeing demons cast out, all of that stuff, we're wasting a whole lot of time where God could be present, God could be moving, God could be impacting and transforming people's lives. Amen? All right. It's not in my sermon, but it's good. So again, remember, it's not just about having a culture that you enjoy or that you find safe or that you find fruitful. It's about having a culture that reflects heaven, that reflects the heart of God and creates a tangible expression of heaven on earth for other people to encounter. So for me, this should, be in, it should impact the business sphere. This should impact whatever job you're doing, wherever you are, your role and your commission from God is to express the reality of the kingdom and to see the culture of heaven come into all of those places. Amen. Jesus said, people will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. So people will know that you belong to me. People will know that I am your God by the way that you treat one another in Christian community. So again, the importance of us not just getting along and, and like being all happy families, like genuinely fighting for one another, fighting for connection. Fighting for, if you see brokenness in another person, fighting for that person, not with that person. If there's conflict, fighting for that relationship, not fighting with that relationship. Does that make sense? People will know that you belong to me by the way that you love and treat one another. So the family context of the church is supposed to be an outward expression, which also means you've got to be spending time with people who don't know Jesus. If you don't know anyone that doesn't know Jesus, I'm just saying, I, I've, I feel like Holy Spirit would have some things to encourage you in. Find some places, find some relationships, start somewhere. If you, I posted on our, on our Facebook uh, group, uh, the church one, um, this week about, you know, just some simple tips for sharing the gospel. Um, I've got another one coming out that's developing, just writing down your mission field. Who's like 20 people that God would have you live amongst that you interact with that don't know Jesus? But you've got to start somewhere to be intentional. Okay, because it's not just that we're supposed to enjoy it together and reflect it to God. We're supposed to reflect it to the world, which means we've got to be spending time in the world. So what would what be great, I've, I've just discovered an amazing thing. I just thought of it then. If we had like, like hubs of people that would do life together, 
we could call them life hubs. And within that hub of Christian community, they could be spending time, not just huddling together and studying the Bible, having good times, but inviting other people into that hub to do life with them. Does that sound good? Yeah, all right, I'll talk to the team. We'll put something together. All right. So God's culture, we would call kingdom culture. So why kingdom culture? Why not God culture? Well, Essentially, we've got a king, his name's Jesus, and a kingdom is wherever the king reigns, the king's domain, kingdom, king's domain, that's what it means. The king sets the laws, the king sets the culture, the king rules over the people. So when we enter into God's kingdom, we are coming under his lordship, under his kingship, and we're subservient to him. We have a king, his name's Jesus, we're part of his kingdom. So we don't just have a responsibility to follow his culture, but also to build that culture into the world around us. That's how the kingdom of heaven comes. It's a culture. It's a way of relating to God and to others that he wants to infuse into the world. So the issue is, what happens when my culture clashes with God's culture? Maybe my family upbringing culture, uh, maybe my ethnic culture. What happens when that clashes with God's culture? Well, the answer is God's culture always wins. God, uh, now again, what I'm not saying is if you come from an ethnic culture, Christianity doesn't have an ethnicity, okay? Now you might look at, you might look at pictures of Jesus, you go, well, he was white skinned with, you know, blonde hair or something like that. You think, well, he must have been kind of Western. There was no pictures of Jesus. There's no photos of Jesus, I'm not sure if you're aware, technology wasn't quite up there at the time of Jesus. Okay, so no one knows what he looked like, but he probably looked more uh, like Arabic um, than, you know, so from the, he was from the Middle East, so he probably looked more like that. But really, regardless, Christianity is not supposed to be Western, it's, not, it's supposed to be kingdom. Okay, so it's, it's not about um, also then squashing and crushing and diminishing ethnic cultures either. I think every culture in the world, because every culture is, is ultimately established by God initially, and every culture then kind of goes off the rails because it's not following God, because the church isn't expressing the kingdom into every culture, and so then naturally the culture moves away from God into their own ways. But as we redeem people, we're also redeeming cultures. We're taking the beautiful, wonderful aspects of culture and bringing them back into the kingdom, but we're also wanting to dismiss those things that are opposed to the culture of heaven and opposed to the kingdom, okay? And this is just a journey we've got to go through. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The NIV says, All Scripture is breathed out and useful for teaching, correcting, and rebuking, and training in righteousness. I love these um, kind of three elements that we've got there. And this really comes to individually. If you have a belief system, um, which you all do, (laughs) whether or not you grew up in the church, you were discipled. You were discipled in maybe in a different religion. You were discipled in the culture that you grew up in, the ethnic culture, the family culture, whatever it was, you were discipled. So inevitably, when we come into the church, we are bringing our culture into that space. And then we've got to learn a new culture. 
and we might find, you know, like in the sifting, some things get caught in the big mesh. <laughs> as you're sifting, kind of, if you dump a pile of rubble in, some things get caught, and then as things filter through, but ultimately there's some things that will pass through that go, you know, that, that upbringing you had matched kingdom culture. That stays. But those big things that were opposed to kingdom culture, well, they've got to go. But inevitably, every time we come to the Scriptures, we'll be confronted by things that we don't agree with. Oh, no. You should expect that when you read the Scriptures, when God speaks to you, when I preach to you, there's going to be things that you don't agree with. If you agree with everything that I say, clearly, either... I'm a perfect preacher and you're a perfect Christian, or we're both really imperfect and we just happen to match. Um, but what it should be is as we present the, the truths of Scriptures, these realities of the kingdom, we're encountering going, oh, that's, that's not what I think. That's not what I was taught. Well, that's not what my family did, or that's not what I enjoy. Whatever it might be, we should be expecting a clash. <laughs> but what it says is that the, the Scriptures are profitable, so teaching... So for giving new information, for correcting, for bringing things back into aligning and rebuking, which is mean of saying, actually, that's, that's a no-go. That can't exist here. So when it comes to culture clashes, I believe there's four main ways that we can respond to that. And that is we can accept it, we can learn, we can adjust, or we can reject Better go up there because I spent like two minutes putting that together. <laughs> it was. So, first step is out my culture. I bring my upbringing. I bring my Western culture, whatever it is. I bring into God's family, into the reality of the kingdom. And there are things which they're acceptable. So, there are things in our cultural understanding of family or culture that match God's kingdom culture of family. So we accept those things. So some examples might be, you are raised with uh, the, uh, the value of treating one another with respect. So is that a kingdom culture value? Absolutely it is. Uh, speaking kindly to one another. Kingdom culture value? Yeah, absolutely. Obedience. Is obedience a kingdom culture value? Absolutely. It's obedience to the Lord. Um, that's a good kingdom culture. Celebrating one another. Hey, grew up in my family, we just always, we just celebrate and we honor and we, we got behind each other. We're always encouraging and supporting that kingdom culture. Absolutely it is. So these are things that as you enter in, you're like, oh, wow, I'm carrying already inherently in me the culture of heaven. That's good. That's great. There might be a whole lot of those things. There might be only a few. It's not really relevant except for that you're acknowledging, hey, that matches up with my existing culture. The next one, so we've got accept and then learn. So this is the teaching dimension. So there are things that we never learned in our family or culture that we learn from God. So we learn new things about kingdom family. Okay, so it means that there's things like, I, I never knew that. I never knew that was a value. I never knew that was important. And then we discover either through scripture, through interaction with, with church culture, oh, cool, that's something, that's a, a value that I can learn, that I can embrace. So maybe we were never taught to value our emotions. We weren't told necessarily to shut them down, but we're never encouraged to draw them out. So it's kind of like, yeah, just be, just 
get along and kind of don't really share too much emotion, like that your parents maybe never drew out those emotions. It was just all of encouraged, just, just kind of be good and get along and be happy and be nice, that sort of thing. So we'd say, okay, there's, I, I'm not, I haven't learned how to express myself to value my heart, to value my inner world. Maybe you were never taught to be disciplined. Maybe you were never disciplined and you were never taught how to be disciplined in things. So maybe your parent, a parent did everything for you. So you never learned how to do things for yourself. You never learned to take responsibility for yourself. You never learned to do hard things that you don't really want to do in order to see a good outcome. So maybe, and again, it might have been your parents just wanting to love you well and, and their way of loving was to do all of the things for you. But then the outcome was, I never learned actually to be disciplined for myself. So we come into then kingdom culture and God calls us to be disciples, to be disciplined ones, to, to, to live by spiritual disciplines. And we go, I just don't like doing hard things. Well, I don't enjoy that, so I don't really want to do it. It's like, well, now your culture is clashing with God's kingdom culture. Amen? So we need to learn new things. The next one is adjust, or this is the correction part. So there are things that we learnt that weren't the fullest or most accurate reflection of God's kingdom culture. So we need to adjust or correct those things. So maybe you're taught to be open and accepting and forgiving to everyone. Is that a kingdom culture value? You're like, yeah, it is. But you were taught, you were never taught to then have boundaries with unhealthy people. It's like, hey, you've got, you've got like half of the equation. You've got heart, you learned that's like, hey, that's really, really good. And, and maybe your parents encouraged you, or you, you were in, even in a church environment and you learned a new culture that said, that just, everyone should be nice, everyone should be happy, everyone should get along. Okay, so you just gotta forgive. And, and yet you're, then you find yourself in relationships with people who are abusing you. And you're thinking, well, I've just gotta be nice. I've gotta be kind, I've gotta accept that. I've gotta be a doormat for this person to walk all over because the value is be nice, be kind, be forgiving. And yet there's not the fullness where it says, but also value yourself and set boundaries and, and don't allow yourself to be a doormat because that's not the way. Now, my thing is, if you choose to lay yourself down and let someone walk over you from a place of power, you can do that as well. There's been plenty of times where I'm just like, you know what, I'm not going to fight this person on this. I'm just going to lay down, uh, you know, maybe it happens in, in a road rage incident. Now, I know I've shared stories about my interactions, but there have also been plenty of times where I've just smiled and said, bless you, and, uh, and, and, and not reacted, you know? Or you just, you know, sometimes, sometimes, like I've been in situations where people have been abusive and I haven't reacted and I haven't matched their abusiveness. I've just actually said, you know what, you do you. And I'm going to, so it doesn't mean you, you never lay your life down in those scenarios, but if you've never been taught what it is to value yourself, to have boundaries, you, it's not the fullness of kingdom culture. So maybe you were taught to never express unhealthy emotions, but you weren't taught how to process those unhealthy emotions, so then you chose to have no emotions. So well, it's not, it's not appropriate for me to be angry. Okay, so don't know if you're angry, don't express your anger. Okay, so but then no one told me how to what do I do with this emotion now because I'm angry. What do I do? Okay, I guess my only alternative is to shut it down. 
So it might not be that your parents told you, you must shut down. It's just like, no, no, you can't be angry. You can't express negative emotions. You can't do those sorts of things because we're supposed to be nice and happy and get along and do all those sorts of things. So you bottle up emotions. It's not the fullest picture. Now, to be angry and to have outbursts and to be violent, all that sort of stuff, is that kingdom? No. Okay? So it's understandable. It's like, well, yeah, there's good to restrain yourself, to have self-control. But also you need to learn, hey, but I, I have a real emotion here. And, and God is interested in my heart, and so he wants me to sift through those things. And Christian family culture can help me to, to, to draw out and to process those things and to recognize what's underneath the anger, what's the real issue that's going on there. Maybe you were always encouraged when you did well. Is that, is that kingdom culture? Hey, you did a great job. just want to encourage you, just want to exhort you. Like that's healthy kingdom family culture but you were punished severely when you failed. So you were taught, it's like positive aspect and then the negative, but if you did bad, well, you were, you were punished severely. So what you, this taught you that love and acceptance is intricately tied to your performance. If I do well, I'm loved and accepted and encouraged and I'm put on a pedestal, I fail, and it might be academically, it might be in whatever way, I do the wrong thing, I make a poor choice, then I am punished severely, and I'm shamed for the fact that I did such a thing, okay? So what, what I've learned as a child is, so I do good, I'm, I'm good, I do bad, I'm bad. And this connects shame to our, to our heart frameworks, this just brings in a whole lot of unhealthy culture, and we call this performance orientation, okay? So the issue is, uh, what we learn then in, uh, in this place is that if I, yeah, it's, it's not the fullest picture. So we want to praise people, but we don't shut people down for doing bad. It needs to be corrected. It needs to be realigned. It needs to be brought in where we say, yeah, we, we give honor where honor is due. We give encouragement and, and exhortation, but we don't, when people stumble and fall, we don't come and kick them while they're down on the ground. Amen? We encourage them. We come and meet with them. Even in the Scriptures, the Apostle Paul talks about, no, I think Jesus talks about, sorry, in Matthew 18, um, you know, someone sins against you, you go and you have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. This is kingdom culture, conflict resolution. They don't, they don't want to hear what you've got to say. You don't get a good outcome. You bring somebody else into that conversation as a mediator to help you to journey through. Still, this person wants to stay in their sin. Then you bring it before the church. Okay, and then ultimately, if they choose to continue in rebellion and unrepentance and sin, then you say, hey, we're just going to treat you as an unbeliever. Now, that has been used by churches in church cultures to uh, like excommunicate people. And then we tell everyone, treat them as an unbeliever, and which they translate as, so don't talk to them and don't. When does Jesus ever encourage us to treat unbelievers negatively? I'd say to, to treat someone as an unbeliever, oh, you mean to love them? to be kind to them, to serve them, to bless them, to do all the things that you would do to someone who is a sinner outside of the kingdom of God? Oh, you mean treat him like Jesus would? Oh, that's right. He loved even his enemies, okay? That's what it means. It's, but it's helpful for a person to understand, hey, if you're not wanting to follow Jesus, it's, it's, it, it's not good for you to stay in this environment thinking that you're being obedient to Christ when you're actually living in disobedience. So we're just gonna say, hey, uh, we're just not gonna, you, you're possibly not a Christian. You're possibly not saved. So we're just gonna love you like you're a non-believer. You just doesn't mean people can't participate in Christian community, can't be loved, accepted, all of that sort of stuff. Really, in any, in some cases, you might love them more. Um, is that cool? Sorry, it wasn't in my notes. Am I rushing through? Okay. And then finally, there's things that we need to reject. 
or the, the Bible word is rebuke. So there are things that we learn growing up that are opposed to God's kingdom culture. So we need to reject some of those things. Maybe you grew up in an in a environment of criticism or dishonor. Not a kingdom culture. Criticism and dishonor doesn't belong in God's kingdom culture. Maybe you grew up in a culture of violence or abuse. Does not belong in God's kingdom culture. We reject that. Which means you've got to have, you're going to have to do a wrestle as to say, well, this is what is normal for me. So I'm going to have to learn a new way and actually reject that old way. And it might be a process of forgiving and repenting and, and cutting yourself free from that. Maybe you grew up in an unsafe home because of addiction or neglect. So when we come into kingdom culture, no, addiction doesn't have a, a place. That's called slavery. Now, even as the Apostle Paul says, look, you're free to do whatever you want, but you're not free to go back into slavery. Jesus set you free so you might be free from all addictions. Okay, amen? So these things are things that we say, actually, they just don't belong. And there's a whole list of other things that would come up in that. So on the journey of learning to live in God's family and learning God's kingdom culture, there will be things that we will learn are acceptable in the kingdom. There are new things for us to learn. There are ways of behaving that we need to adjust. And there are values or cultures that we actually need to reject. And so that actually doesn't belong. You might grow up in a, if you grow up in Africa and you say animism, so the, the worship of, of all of creation as God, you say come into the kingdom, it's like, no, sorry, there's one true God. And there's not lots of gods. You might come from a, a, a polytheist yeah, culture, okay, where there's multiple gods, Hinduism and things like that. You come into the God's kingdom culture, like, sorry, there's, there's one God. There's only one God, so you've got to reject. You understand? All right. <clears throat> so depending on how we reacted to our home environment, we may need to do some business with Jesus to repent of any judgments we have, any expectations that we carry, any unforgiveness in our hearts or lies that we have believed about family. This is what we do in Elijah House. Again, it's not, it's just scriptural process of walking through repentance, forgiveness, renouncing lies, all of that sort of stuff. It's you and Jesus doing some business with the help of other people. Family-based trauma is often hard to acknowledge, especially as you become an adult because the older you get, the easier it is to understand why your parents were the way that they were or why they may have behaved in the ways that they did or why they didn't give you the things that you felt that you needed. So we look back and because you, you realize, man, I was like, as a parent, you go, oh, you're just so tired all the time or you've, well, you've got to, still got to work and hey, times are tough and hey, you know what, sometimes there's this conflict and you learn these things or I guess my dad was always angry like that and so that's, I've become like that and you, you come to this place of acceptance to go, hey, my parents weren't perfect, that's okay. But the issue is, is that we don't deal with our responses that we had when we were a child. So the issue we face is not whether we can come to a place of peace about their behavior or the environment that we grew up in. The issue is that we face is that our responses to our parents or our siblings or our, the environment around us that we were raised in will continue to impact our adult relationships. That will continue to impact the families that we, are, that we may be raising or the family that God has called us into, the church family. So we can say, oh yeah, like I've... My dad was a violent alcoholic. I'm 
definitely not wanted to be like a violent alcoholic. But we can carry expectations that people are going to be violent and abusive to us. So we, we disconnect ourselves, not getting too close to people. You know, we don't, like, you know, someone raises their tone of voice, we have this huge big reaction and we trigger and all of these sorts of things that are going on. Or we end up you know, ultimately fulfilling some of those things that we rejected as a child. But we have to look at it and say, how I responded as a child is the determination that I made in my heart in that moment. And unless I come to a different determination in my heart, then I'm going to continue to fulfill that judgment, that unforgiveness, that expectation as an adult. Okay? The reason for that is because there are laws in the kingdom of God. You're free from Jewish law. You're not free from kingdom law. Jesus fulfilled the law, okay, but there's still kingdom laws that Jesus expressed, <laughs> that Jesus laid down for us to follow. So whatever judgment I made as a child, that judgment's going to come to fruition. I'm going to be judged in the same way as an adult. Whatever lies I believed, they are still inherently in my heart. Whatever belief systems were formed as a child, if I don't repent and change those belief systems, come to a new set of belief systems, they're going to manifest in my adult life. Amen? You want to learn more? Lodge House, you know why. So without repentance for our sinful responses and healing from the impact of the trauma we endured, we will end up creating a similar culture wherever we go. So the saying is, what we don't repair, we will repeat. Whatever you don't repair, you will repeat. Now you might say, I had an amazing childhood growing up. And that's great, fantastic, amazing. You come into kingdom culture and you realize, oh, but I didn't have that. Yeah, my dad was wonderful. We worked hard. There was always food on the table, always a roof over our head. Come into kingdom culture and say, hey, where's your heart? I was like, what's that? Where are your emotions? I don't know. I don't really have any. Where are your needs? I don't have needs. I'm all good. You know, Aussie male culture, <laughs> you know, so that's what we, we live in. And, and because maybe you're like, well, my dad wasn't bad, abusive and neglectful. And yet maybe he neglected to nurture your heart, to draw out your identity, to call you forth. Maybe you, you are like, oh, so who are you? Who has God called you to be? Oh, no, I'm just, I'm just a bloke. I'm just whatever. But really, what's the destiny on your life? Oh, I don't know. Just work my job, I guess. Care for my family. Where's the dream that God has placed in your heart? It's like, oh, I don't really dream about stuff. It's just, I'll just do, just do life. And, you know, did school, went to uni, got a job. I'll retire one day, buy a boat, you know. It's like, is, that, is that God's kingdom vision for you? Or is it something? But maybe that's because you're like, well, again, I didn't feel like my dad was bad. But, you know, he never, he never spoke identity into me. He never spoke destiny over me. So those things have never been awakened in my heart. I come into kingdom family culture and there's all of this talk of like destiny and, and vision and valuing the heart and having healthy expression and emotions. And it's like, I don't know any of those things. So sometimes it's in that. And so it's not looking back and saying, oh yeah, my parents sucked and they're so rubbish and I need to. It's not at all. It's not in any way about dishonoring your parents or learning, oh, that they're, they're, it's the opposite is true. <laughs> we want you to come to a place of honor of your parents, but your little heart made dishonorable reactions and responses to your parents. That's what we actually need to deal with. What we don't repair, we will repeat. So our personal journey of repentance and healing actually becomes the catalyst for creating a culture that helps to heal and restore others. 
So again, you might be here and, and you're like, I'm in kingdom family culture. I just know what I can do, what I can't do, all of that sort of stuff. And I'm just happy to, to learn the rules, stick with the rules. Don't rock the boat. I'll be good here. Okay? The issue is you become a spectator, not a participant. You don't embrace the culture of heaven, the culture of the kingdom, and then take that into your world to shape your own family culture, to shape your workplace culture, your neighborhood culture, wherever you go, the culture around you. Whatever sphere of influence that God gives you, you might be the CEO of a company, you might be in the bottom tier. Wherever you are, God will give you authority and a sphere of influence that you can impact with the culture of heaven. But it's not about bringing your family culture or your ethnic culture, it's about God's bringing God's kingdom culture into that place. So now what I've discovered over the years of, of pastoring and shepherding people is that not everyone loves family culture, even in the church. For some people, family isn't safe. They would, be, they would actually prefer to be kept at arm's length and to keep other people at arm's length, which is weird for me. Like I've, 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 I had a wonderful upbringing. I still had to do a heart journey of things where that I maybe didn't receive or I, or I responded in the wrong way in my heart as a child. Even the, the situation might not have been bad. I still had a sinful response that I needed to repent for before the Lord. But I still went through that journey. Then I come in, I'm learning kingdom culture and we're learning it all the time. There's no perfection of this. We're all learning and we're all bringing the different bits and, and bobs into this place. Um, but as I'm learning and, and kind of growing in this, then I meet people and they're like, keep away from me. They're like, no, but, but we love you. And we just want to, yeah, come and be and connect in. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, yeah, you're hugging, you're touching. You know, like the, you know, those people who are like, they were doing social distancing way before COVID. And it's like, in every way, just, just, just back off for me. And look, I respect people who don't like being touched and stuff. So it's not that you have to go, oh, everyone in this church hugs. If you don't want to be hugged, I say, hey, I actually prefer not to be hugged. Awesome. Bless you. But, you, but you, you know, you might get a sneaky one sometimes. And you just need to, you know, let it, just let it slide and then say, hey, next time, don't, don't ambush me with a hug. Um, but I'm saying there's, um, there's things that we're all kind of learning in this process. And you realize, oh, some people actually don't want it. It's like it's, it's to be known, to be known is dangerous. Vulnerability is actually a threat. That doesn't create safety. Now, that means to be vulnerable. It's like, oh, now, now you're going to know information about me that you could use against me. So some people thrive in a safe family environment. They can rest and restore and invest because they feel safe to express themselves fully without fear of rejection. And they can be deeply knitted in because they can connect at that level. They can do heart connection. Like, I'm, you know, I'm safe, not even because you're safe, because I'm, God is my protector and my provider. I know who I am. And so even you might mess up in relationship, but hey, we can restore it. We can wrestle through and I'm, I'm committed to you and we'll work through it. Healthy relationships aren't free from conflict. The, the thing that's present is conflict resolution. So some people only know the acceptance that comes from their performance. This is what I touched on before. They feel safe when they're ticking all the boxes and excelling in all the areas that they think people are wanting them to perform well in. They've built up a wall of protection in the form of performance. They don't know what it feels like to be accepted when they haven't done something good. If I do nothing, will I be acceptable? Of course not, because there's nothing for someone to accept. Only what I do is who I am, and they're tied together. 
I look at, at Jesus with the Father at Jesus' baptism. He spent 30 years being a carpenter, making tables and chairs and whatever else carpenters made in those days. And then he's obedient in baptism. This father speaks from heaven, says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. He hadn't been crucified on the cross. He hadn't done all the ministry and the miracles and all of those wonderful things that we'd look at and say, that's worthy of being praised for. He was just acknowledge you are my son and I'm pleased with you. And this thing that I've learned as, as, as a as a parent of, of children, is that you just look at your children, it's like, I love you regardless. Good, bad, ugly, you are loved. And nothing can ever change my love for you. I was, uh, as I was putting Abigail to bed the other day, and I was like, there's nothing that could ever stop me loving you. Like, what if I murdered someone? It's like, still, there's nothing that, this is what all things about, I don't know. I'm not saying she was pondering it. I'm just saying, she's, in the context of the conversation, she's asking the question, I'm like, no, like, even if you murdered people, no, I'm not going to say She still loves it, yeah. So a person who is performance-oriented, who they are never lives or truly lives on the outside. Because the outside is where rejection happens. If you know the real me, you might reject the real me. Or the real me might not be enough for you. It might not reach up to the level that you need in order to accept me. But this relational pattern never allows someone to rest into and be received by kingdom family culture. More importantly to that, it never actually allows them to rest into God's relationship with him as their father. Because it's always, well, if I do good, God is good to me. If I do bad, God is bad. He's angry with me and he's going to punish me. So we live constantly in this, okay, I did good, I read enough of my Bible, I prayed enough, I came along enough on a Sunday, I did all of these things, I did good, I gave money to that homeless person, I did good, I did good, I did good. And then the week was like, I stumbled in that and I, I said something I shouldn't have said and I looked at something I shouldn't have looked at. I'm like, great, now God's, he's angry at me and it's like, what's the point? And I'm just, might as well give up. And yet the Father is looking at you and just saying, none of those things make a difference in my love and my acceptance of you. If your acceptance was based upon your performance, then why did my son hang on a cross for your sin? <laughs> it negates the cross. So every time when we take communion, what we're saying is I'm accepted because of his broken body and his spilt blood, not my own, not my performance, not my good works. Jesus is the good and faithful servant that, that paves the way for us. Amen. So again, for us as a church, we're like, we want to strip performance out of the culture. So you can bring your gifts, you can bring your experience, you can bring all of those things, but no one's going to go, wow, you're so amazing. Let's put you up the front and, and we're going to milk you for all the good things that you've learned in Christian culture. And you can preach amazing, you can do this, you can play an instrument, you can blah, 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 blah. It's like, no, can you be known? Can you just be loved for just being you? Can you just be accepted? Can you just belong and, and exist here without having to do anything? And what I found is this can be really, really hard for people. But it's not the way of the kingdom. It's not the way that God relates with his people. Now, again, does God honor good works? Absolutely he does. But he doesn't reject you when you've done bad works. So what can we do when our culture clashes with kingdom culture? It's only when you do it in front of people you realize how long it takes to unscrew, how many turns there are. I should have grabbed a bigger bottle. It's my own fault. 
So what happens when our culture clashes with the kingdom culture? Well, the, I think the first thing we need to discover is we need to learn kingdom culture. Only when we know true family culture can we recognize the counterfeit. Only we actually know, I know this is God's family culture, then I can, and then I can see where my culture doesn't match up to that. Okay? So when you read your Bible, look at the interactions between God and His people. Study the life of Jesus and how He treated other people. It's like, cool, that's, that's who I'm to model my life upon. That's how Jesus treated people. That's how He wants me to treat people. You know, read uh, sections like the Beatitudes or the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus was preaching. And look, what did he speak? What kind of parameters did he, did he outline? Study uh, the Apostle Paul's letters to the churches and how he encourages them to treat one another. So you can start, just start in the Scriptures. Start studying. How do they interact? How do they love? Study people, the people around you. Ask questions. This is the second point. Seek understanding as to the why behind someone's behavior. What is the value that they're trying to express? So you can come into, a, into a Christian culture and you go, okay, there's ways of behaving, ways of doing things. There's a good chance that there's a value behind that behavior. There's a reason behind. So there's a reason why we worship the way that we do and we take the time that we want to take in that space because we want to give space for Holy Spirit to move, to speak, to encounter, for people to encounter Him. We're free in that. We plan songs, but not too rigidly. We're happy to flow wherever God wants us to go because there's a value behind that. It's not just like, oh, these people don't worship a long time. <laughs> What's with that? Do they not realize how long they're worshiping for? Oh, no, we're fully aware. <laughs> fully aware. Um, but we want to give space because that's our values, that we give prominence to the presence of God. We give prominence to the Holy Spirit to move to speak. The reason we pray at the end, we want to give space for Holy Spirit to minister to people. The reason we teach in a particular way. Why are you teaching stuff that's like kind of for Christians that's equipping me to live out in the world when I just want a nice feel-good message to, to kind of fluff me up and make me feel all warm and fuzzy? Why, is it, why, is it, why are you challenging me, Brad? It's supposed to make me feel good. That's why I'm here. Like, no, because our value is that you would be transformed into the likeness of Jesus and then live as sent ones in the world, transforming the lives and the culture of those around you. It's intentional. There's value behind it. So the reality is there will be things in any church culture that are just expressions of the culture that we live in. So the clothing people wear, the way people speak, the music that might get played, they're reflections of the world around us or just the influence of modern Christian culture. So there are some things in church culture that are just, that's just modern church culture and they're not necessarily good or bad. That's just the way it is. You kind of got to pick a culture. We could do African tribal worship. I don't know, it'd be fun. Nicole, yeah, yeah, no. you know, we could do like you could take, you could take a, a whatever culture and you could have music that reflects that. But we're we're in we live we're in Perth. Uh, what's that kind of dominant Perth culture? Um, what are those are slow, boring songs. <laughs> Sorry, Perth, we love you. Yeah. So they're not necessarily biblical or unbiblical, and I don't think there's a need to intentionally express kingdom culture through a particular way that we dress. Some people would say there is. Well, you've got to dress up in your nines, you know, to come on a Sunday. It's like, I, I just don't see that that's an encouragement in the scriptures that we must do those sorts of things. But if someone wants to, God bless you. So there are other things in church culture uh, that are highly intentional to express kingdom value. 
There is language that we might use that expresses a value for heart transformation. Uh, there are things that we do in our gathering time that give focus and attention to certain things or ways that we relate to one another that are designed to infuse or reflect the heart of God to one another. Now, what do we know? Well, what's just happens to be culture and what's intentional culture? Well, you'll probably only find out by asking a question. Oh, why, why do you do that? And what, what's that about? Every time when we do staff birthdays and we do cake and we go around the room and everyone just shares words of just encouragement and honor and, and expressing their heart and their love. We don't have to do that, but we do that because it, it's, it just expresses kingdom culture of honor and, and love and building people up and it's just a good thing. We could not do that. We choose to do that. It expresses kingdom culture. It's intentional. So don't assume that the different expression is simply just a different expression. There may be a value behind it that is intentional. So ask questions as to why, the why behind the action. Discover the value that's there. I want to tell you, it, it can be exhausting to constantly say why you do what you're doing. If we have to say every time we get out, okay, this is why we worship in the way that we do. This is why we do this. This is why we spend time doing this. This is why we have morning tea. This is why the room's set up like this. This is why, this is why, this is why. It's like... You don't want to do that. Sometimes you just want to live and, and let the culture speak for itself. But feel free to ask questions. Hey, why, why do you do that? Why do you do that? People say, like, I talk to people sometimes, like, oh, yeah, because your church meets for a long time. I'm like, why is two hours a long time? Why is it an hour and a half or an hour? Because I'm not, I don't know. Why is it? I think in Africa, it could be 10 hours because <laughs> you've got to walk three hours to get there. You know, like, there are times, but why? The, the, the disciples met every day together in the temple. Yeah, like seven, that's seven days a week. And they've probably spent many, many hours doing that. They would have late night love feasts and all of this sort of stuff in the early church. But we just have a value. So for me, it's like, well, it's two hours because that's kind of how long it takes to give space for Holy Spirit to, to move in, in the worship and good time for, for, for equipping. And then Brad, you know, has such amazing content that he just has to get it out. And why would you not want to spend time listening to all that goodness? I do try to speak. I was literally sitting waiting for to pick up Domino's pizza for movie night last night for my kids. And it was just, it was just flowing out of me. So I, I, I was going to say I apologize. I don't apologize because that would be a lie. It is what it is. All right. So, so we, can, we can ask questions and enter in, hey, what's the why behind? Or the alternative is just to ignore the difference and dismiss it. It's just, oh, it's just different. Oh, they just do things differently. But when we do that, we miss out on potentially experiencing and understanding and then expressing a value of the kingdom of heaven. Oh, that's why. Oh, cool, because that's the value in the kingdom is to do that. And that's how you express that value tangibly. Someone else and a different church might express that value in a different way. So again, we're not saying the expression of the value is the right thing. It's what's behind it that's important. So we often look for what's familiar rather than what's family. We look for what's familiar. And that's oftentimes people, they'll come to a church, it's like, well, what's, what feels familiar? Oh, this feels familiar. And then cool, I'll, I'll connect here. Rather than what's kingdom, family, culture? Oh, if that's represented and that's valued, okay, that's what I want to be a part of. Yeah, there's that language of horses for courses. Ever, everyone heard anyone talk about that? Kind of like, oh, there's just different churches for different people. Almost like a smorgasbord out there for people to choose from in our consumeristic Western culture. Um, Look, I appreciate that there are cultural norms in Australia that aren't the same cultural norms as the rest of the world. There are different expressions of church life that can engage with different cultures around the world or even within a, a city or a region. Okay, So I'm not saying that one expression is the right way or the wrong way. 
we all have things to learn from other cultures that might express kingdom values better than our own ethnic culture. I think there are things in, in Western culture that don't fully express kingdom culture. And so we've got to be willing to confront those things and say, yeah, I'm not going to be subservient to my ethnic culture or my family culture. I want kingdom culture. We want your family to be expressed on the earth. But there are also ways of expressing ourselves as the church that conflict with the culture of heaven. And these things need to be acknowledged and addressed. So again, we're not talking, it's not about paradox culture or Hillsong culture or Baptist culture. It's about kingdom culture. We all need to be reflecting on the why behind what we do and be prepared to yield our preferences to God's preferences in order that he might express himself most accurately to the world around us. So you might say, oh, paradox does things differently, but we're not, we're not trying to do paradox culture. We're just saying, here's the culture of heaven that we can see, and here's how we feel God would want us, or we think is a good way to express that value. What's behind it is important, and there are some things in church culture that express a value that's not kingdom. Even as I've touched on, just one element of culture is that performance culture. And that people can come in and the church and everything's beautiful, happy smiles, everything's schmick, you know, and, and wonderful and glossy and all this sort of stuff. And it's kind of this world. It's like, but is that really what's going on? Is that real? Is that authentic? Can people make mistakes? Can people just fail and stumble and be having a hard time? Or is everyone just happy spaces, keep smiling? Yeah, jump, be happy on the stage. Yeah, you know, like it's, it's all of that sort of stuff. And I'm saying, be happy. <laughs> It's wonderful to be happy, but if it's masking reality, then that's, that's not healthy. If people come in and go, I, I'm actually not safe to be broken here. So well, then, then, there's, then there's a church that Jesus established that isn't matching up to the church that people are experiencing. He came for the sick, not the healthy. The church is a hospital, so it should be a place where people feel like, hey, I can, I can be messy, I can be happy, I can be sad, I can be bawling my eyes out, I can be laughing my head off. But it's welcome accepting. Amen. All right. I've spoken for a long time. According to who? Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to fight with myself. Come on, you want to go? Um, I'm going to pray. And you're welcome to, to join me in prayer. And Nicole's going to... Amen. Why don't you just close your eyes? You're welcome to, to stand if you're able to. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You're a good father, God. You're such a good father. We thank you, Lord, that even as it might not seem like it, but even as I've been sharing, I know that the gospel has been is being presented, Lord, because it's talking about a father 
who longs to have his family restored. A good father who has good things in store for his people, who wants the best for his family, who wants to have a healthy and thriving family, Lord. And he wants his family to grow. So Lord, we know that the invitation to enter into family is always there with you, Lord. And you are not a God who calls people to perform. In the Bible, in Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one. And Lord, we're only in your family because of what Jesus accomplished. He made the way. He was the firstborn of all creation. He was the, the, the door opener for us, Lord. And also in the Bible, Revelation 3.20, it says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone would open the door and invite me and I would come in and fellowship, I would come in and eat with him and he with me. So we thank you, Lord, that the invitation is always there for us to respond to. The doorway is always open to enter into your family. And Father, I just want to pray. And I know your heart is, Lord, for anyone here this morning that's never made that commitment to enter into your family, Lord. Maybe they've never actually prayed to, to give their life to you, Jesus. Maybe they've never pray to receive salvation and to choose to follow you, Lord. Or maybe, Father, there are some who have maybe prayed a prayer, they've reached out to you, but they've never felt that, that drawing into family. So I just want to encourage you, if that is you this morning, we would love to pray for you. You don't have to come down the front, move from where you are. I just ask you, just lift up your hand. Everyone's got their eyes closed. No one's going to see. Just lift up your hands. We just love to pray for you to enter in to the family of God. Maybe for the first time, you might feel like you even just need to make a recommitment to God, to His family. Again, not to a church, but to God's family. So if that's you, why don't you lift up your hand? Father, we just pray as you invite people in to that deeper space, Lord. We thank you that it is your determination to release salvation, Lord, to fill people with your spirit. But we just pray breakthrough, Lord. Even, Father, those who might be watching this video at another time, Lord, just pray salvation upon you that you would receive the Holy Spirit, that you would be born again in Jesus' name, and you would receive the invitation of adoption, that you don't come in as an orphan, you come in as an adopted son or an adopted daughter into the family of God. We bless you. I just wanna pray for anyone who, who just feels that prompting to yield their family culture, maybe to yield their ethnic culture to the Lord and to choose kingdom culture. If you want to, you can come forward. You can stay where you are. I'm just going to pray.
if you feel that prompting to come forward, the space is open here and we'd love to, to pray further with you about that. But Father, we just pray, we come before you, Lord, and we bring our history, we bring our family culture, Lord, we bring our ethnic cultures before you and we lay them at your feet, Lord. And we just ask, Lord, that you would release us from those things, Lord, that we might be able to embrace your ways, your culture, your kingdom family culture, Lord, that we might feel that belonging, Lord. We don't, that we won't look for where can we fit, but where do we belong? And we belong to you. We belong to your family, Lord. And you can lead us into a safe space, Lord. Father, I pray for each one of us here, Lord, those who aren't here that are listening or watching uh, later on, Lord, that we would each make a commitment to uphold the values of the kingdom in this place, but also to express the values of the kingdom everywhere that we go. That this wouldn't be a place where we would behave differently, Lord, but we'd be, behave the same here and everywhere that we go because you're infusing that culture into us, Lord. You're shifting our ways of thinking and behaving and understanding, Lord. That we might fully embrace your culture, your ways, but also we might fully express that to the world. So Father, I pray a blessing, Lord, a commissioning over your people here this morning, Lord, that as we live, as the Father has sent Jesus, so the Father sends you out into the world to carry the culture of heaven to share the good news of Jesus in His kingdom, to make disciples, Lord. And we do pray, even as we did in the worship, Lord, that we'd see salvations, Lord, breakthrough in relationships, reconciliation and renewal in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Awesome. Bless you, family. Love you. If you have kids, please go and uh, grab them out. And if not, you're welcome to come forward. If you have any other prayer needs, healing, salvation, deliverance, you want to you just feel like you need a prophetic word, maybe you've never had the destiny of the Lord spoken over you, please come forward, we'd love to pray for you. If not, please hang around for morning tea in the foyer, get to know some new people. Don't forget to sign up for Elijah House Unit 1, connect cards and all that jazz.